0: You may be looking around the room and wondering why the windows are still open. You may wonder, are we not very smart? We don't realize it's getting cooler. So just an explanation that that, uh, throughout the winter, we continue to run air purifiers around the room. We'll continue to keep the windows cracked as well, just to move more fresh air in here. So we just want to give that sort of a heads up as it gets cooler. So you might dress accordingly. Uh, You can bring a blanket, sleeping bag, or just a heavy coat, or sit nearer or closer to the window, depending on how warm or cool you may be. One of the things in our society that people do not want to get caught in is hypocrisy. This is typically when a person says and advocates for one thing, but is caught doing something else. We regularly see this in the news, or perhaps it might be a, a, a politician who advocates for family values and for the value, the importance, the stability of marriage, and then is caught, sadly, in a long-term Adulterous affair. Or sometimes it's a celebrity who's an advocate to to work for changes related to climate change, speaking loudly, traveling the world, advocating for this, but then we find out they almost always fly on a private jet as they go to these events. Or we watch those who, who do commercials on TV advocating for this product or that, and we wonder, do they really use that? Does our friend Tom Brady, does he really eat Subway sandwiches? I'm pretty sure with his strange diet, he has never eaten a Subway sandwich. So our friend, he's he's a hypocrite in the sense he's saying, take this, and yet not using it himself. It sometimes seems that if we're honest, we're all on the lookout for hypocrites out there. And did you know, though, that Jesus also opposed hypocrisy? He called people to their face hypocrites because he takes it very seriously. And that's what we'll see in our uh, sermon this morning, this reality of the seriousness of hypocrisy, but also hope for hypocrites like me and like you. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew 15. Today we will be in Matthew 15, beginning in verse 1. In the Bibles we provided near you, you can find it on page 820, page 820. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible this morning so you can see the text, open up a Bible app so you can follow along as we work our way through. If you're newer to reading the Bible, when you open it up, are the larger numbers of the chapter numbers, so we're in chapter 15, the smaller numbers of the verse numbers, and I'll mention those throughout our time. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 20. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one as a gift. At the back of the room, at the back, there's a, a table there, a sign that says free Bibles. Please, following the service, go by there, grab one of those Bibles as our gift to you today. So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 15, beginning in verse one. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, "'And why do you break the commandment of God "'for the sake of your tradition? "'For God commanded, "'Honor your father and mother, "'and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. "'But you say, "'If anyone tells his father or mother "'what you would have gained from me is given to God, "'he need not honor his father. "'So for the sake of your tradition, "'you have made void the word of God. "'You hypocrites.'" Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you notice the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly father, my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes? into the stomach, and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This morning as we look at our passage, we see this emphasis. Refuse vain worship. And embrace authentic worship from a clean heart. Refuse vain worship and embrace authentic worship from a clean heart. And we'll look at our text in two parts. So first we'll see hypocrisy uh, hypocrisy opposed and then hearts exposed. Hypocrisy opposed, hearts exposed. So first we see hypocrisy opposed. We see in verse 1 that Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So these are some of the religious authorities who no doubt have been hearing the news of Jesus in Jerusalem, of his teaching, of the great crowds that are following, of his healing, about some of the apparently controversial things that he's saying and doing. And so they have been watching, keeping tabs, and now they come to Jesus. And they come to Jesus with a question, but it's not a question aimed at understanding. No, it is a question that isn't, in fact, an accusation. So they ask, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. The Pharisees were astonished that Jesus' disciples didn't always wash their hands before they ate. It certainly would have been typical, typical Jews would, kids, just to be clear, Wash your hands before you eat, okay? That's a good thing. If your parents tell you to wash your hands, you should do that. But the argument here is that this was a command of God, that God had required this, and to not do it was sin. Now, there were specific commands that God had given related to washing for a particular subset of the Jewish people, but especially uniquely for the priests who led God's people in worship. So only priests were required to wash before entering the tabernacle. Otherwise, this washing of hands, which pointed to the conflict here, was really only essential if you'd come in contact with a bodily discharge. The idea of uncleanness here, unwashed, is not primarily related to hygiene, but to being ceremonially clean or unclean, able to be with and near God's people. And what has happened is Though God's word did not say this explicitly, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had begun to develop additional teachings, traditions around God's word. And over the years, these traditions and teachings just grew and grew. They increased in number and also in authority that in time, these traditions, these extra teachings were, were considered by the religious authorities and by some of the Jewish people to be on equal footing with the commands, the teachings of God in the scriptures. Initially, these teachings and traditions had been thought of as, as a fence around the commands of God to sort of protect you from even getting near breaking a commandment, or, or sometimes there be applications of the law of God. And one of these additional teachings was that one must wash hands before eating in order to be ritually clean. Now, why would they build up these additional teachings? Why add these additional rules? And if we're honest, we have to say, initially, I think they had a good motivation. These were devoted people who wanted to be holy. And in some ways in their mind, they thought, well, if if God has given us these commands, if we add some additional guardrails outside of that, well, if we don't break the guardrail, we certainly won't break the command as well. And to their credit, these leaders were passionate. They were dedicated. The problem is they became dedicated to the wrong thing. And in time, they made the keeping of these additional commandments the means for being righteous, being right before God. And so through these additional commands and the keeping of them, they began to cultivate a self-righteousness because they were made right with God through what they were doing in the keeping of these additional instructions. Of course, what happens is these lists grow and grow and no one can possibly keep all of these. And so the people of God were crushed under the weight of others. It was overwhelming to the point of despair. And making additional rules is a temptation for Christians as well. We also have God's word, but it's so easy as individuals or as groups to add to that. Why do we do that? Sometimes it's that by adding some additional rules, and particularly rules that we think we can keep, it builds our own ego. For rarely would we add additional rules that we would have a hard time keeping. It's the ones that are easy for us and hard for others. And so we feel an inflated sense of ourselves by keeping these rules. Also, keeping outward rules doesn't threaten our inward thoughts. By keeping these outward rules, we can appear godly and holy while still allowing our hearts to be far from God. It's also possible that among religious groups, those who keep the rules the best are often the most respected. So if I want to be respected, I'll add some rules. I'll keep them well. And you'll think, well, I don't really like him, but he's really moral. He really lives an upright, committed, dedicated life that I could never keep myself. And again, what's the goal of these rules for us? It is trying to, to try to make ourselves right. To do for ourselves what actually we can never do, only God can do. As a friend, I wonder if you're a Christian, are there ways that you have given your own time and energy, to this sort of self-righteousness? Self-righteous rule adding and rule keeping. Jesus responds to their question with a question of his own, as he often did. Look down at verse 3. He says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So here Jesus makes a clear contrast. He sets the two against each other. On one side, we have the commandment, the word of God. On the other side, we have what he calls the tradition, the tradition of the elders. Jesus then goes on to give them an example of how they are practically doing this in verses 4 through 6. Jesus quotes from Exodus 20 and 21 as he reminds them of God's commands that children are to honor their parents. They knew that. And in particular, how they were to honor their parents as adults. Even as adult children, we have a right and godly responsibility to care for our parents. And Jesus points to their practice in verse 5 and 6. He says, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. This was a practice in the day known as Corban. Where people could promise certain things, certain possessions of theirs, to God, fundamentally to the temples. So you are saying, I'm going to give this to the temple, the center of the worship of God. But if you made this sort of commitment, you could keep these things throughout your life until you died, but you couldn't give them to others because they were committed to the temple. There could be a reasonable place for this. Keep it throughout life and then give it as an offering. But eventually, some of the Pharisees began to misuse this as a as a way to not care for their families so it would go like this they have some parents who need assistance but they don't really want to use their possessions for their parents they want to keep them for themselves so they would say "As a, like i'm i'm committing this to the temple Corban is what they would claim so this is committed to the temple and therefore they couldn't they must not because of that commitment give it to their parents so they could look really holy, and they could say to their parents, like, oh, Mom and Dad, I, I understand your needs. Your needs are great. And I wish that I could help you, but I've already committed it to the temple. So what I'll need to do is keep this wealth for myself throughout life, and then it will go to the temple. So I'm very sorry. I do love you, but I just can't help. So this was a, an additional that they were keeping, they were abusing God's commands by keeping these additional instructions. In keeping this man-made tradition, they're violating the clear command of God, which was honor your father and mother. So instead, the tradition of the elders, the traditions they were being used, Jesus says, verse six, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. It's a very serious thing. You're voiding the word of God because you're superseding it with these additional traditions and teachings. And then Jesus sharpens his rebuke of their self-righteousness in verses seven through nine. Look at what he says, verse seven. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus calls them hypocrites. This theater term for one who plays a part. He says that outwardly they look very righteous. and In fact, their outward living looks very upright in so many ways, but Jesus says their hearts are far from God. This would have been just as offensive to them as it is to us. I mean, it's offensive to people in our society if you call them a hypocrite. None of us want to be called that. They didn't want to be called that. But their hypocrisy, what was not primarily saying one thing and doing another, as so often we think of hypocrisy, it was that they were saying and doing one thing, but their hearts were actually going in the other direction. They were teaching these things, even following these teachings, appearing to be godly and holy, but what was inside did not match the outside. We have some close friends who uh, the the husband has broken a lot of bones over the years, numerous bones. And just in time, we've known them. And one time, we were with them at the hospital after one of these broken bones. As I began to talk with them, I am also a physician. Well, actually, I'm not. But I thought, you know, I play a physician. You know, in this conversation, I said so. I mean, have they ever prescribed something for you to keep from breaking all these bones? I said, you should probably take some calcium. I, I mean, I know that, I'm a doctor, so I, so I gave them that instruction. He said, no, no, actually, I always drink calcium-enriched orange juice. Every day I drink that. i like, okay. But his wife was seated right over here. And she sort of sheepishly said, well, you really don't. Because calcium-enriched orange juice it's more expensive so actually i've been buying non-calcium enriched orange juice and i just you know fill up the container and we've been drinking it out of that so so you think you've been drinking calcium enriched which you really haven't so the orange juice container that's hypocrisy the container says calcium enriched it says to the whole world that's what's in me but well, what is inside is actually not what the outside says and friends, that's what the Pharisees are doing. These outward actions are different from their hearts. And so he quotes from Isaiah 21. They, he says they honor with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. Their words and their actions appear to honor God, but their hearts are so very far from And then Jesus says this, their worship is therefore in vain. And one of the ways it was in vain was that they were teaching and following the commands of men, these traditions, as if they were the very word of God. Jesus says that worship that is only outward, that is not from the heart, is empty. It's vanity. And friends, if we try to hold to man-made rules, while holding to the word of God like they were doing, something will be lost, something will be dropped. And Jesus is saying, what will be dropped is the word of God. We'll increasingly hold only to these instructions, these traditions of people instead of the word of God. So Jesus gives these very sharp, strong words to the Pharisees and the scribes. But friends, not just words for them, but words for us as well. These are strong and true words for any person who tries to be right with God through our own actions, through our own keeping of rules. So friend, do you see this great danger that a person may appear to be very moral, maybe religiously impressive, they may know the Bible well, and yet their heart is far from God. And so, friend, if you're a Christian, is it possible that today, you're with us today, which is good and right. God instructs us to do that. But though you're here, your heart is far from God. And, friends, I mentioned we also face the temptation to create additional rules around the word of God. So what are some of the additional rules that perhaps you create for yourself or for others, thinking that they must be kept that are not actually in God's word? Very often, these would be preferences of our own that might even be good and wise, but they're not commanded by God. So it might be a certain behavior or or dressing or acting in a certain way. Sometimes it might even be a very good thing like daily reading the scriptures and praying. That's a good and wise and godly practice. It is not sin to not do that. And so often we take a a good practice that I commend to you, that I seek to do as often as I possibly can. But in time, even in our own minds, I find it for myself and for others, it has become an extra commandment. It's required. And so when a day comes and I don't do it, I feel this guilt within as if I've sinned, or maybe you do as well adding additional rules. And I wonder, though you've created them, do you sometimes find yourself, like me, crushed under the weight of your own rules? And friends, we see a glimpse of this self-righteous, legalist heart in the Pharisee and the scribes. And notice, they, they create these rules for themselves, but they also are not satisfied with their own hearts, but they're interested in the heart of others. So they're, they're watching the actions of others. So they're interested in Jesus' disciples. Why do they not do the right thing? and they're quick to condemn others, slow to examine their own hearts, and their focus is on outward behavior rather than inward change. And so often we have a heart like the Pharisees. As a side note, let me be clear. We're not saying that all tradition is bad. There's a place for tradition and tradition of the church, but it must always be submitted to God's word and carefully discerned. So we see hypocrisy opposed. But then second, we see hearts exposed in verses 10 through 20. We see in verse 10 and 11 that Jesus called the people to him that have seen this interaction. And so first he says to them, hear and understand. And so when Jesus says something like this, he's saying to the crowd, this in particular is very, very important. Listen up, Jesus is saying. Then he says in verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person he clarifies this even more in verses 12 to 20 as he speaks to his disciples the disciples came to jesus and first they say do do you realize the pharisees were very offended by what you say jesus critiques the pharisees for being blind guides and then peter asks jesus to explain it to them they don't understand So Jesus reinforces and tells him that what goes into a person cannot defile us because it simply goes through our body and then is expelled. So he's saying nothing from outside of us can defile our hearts. This is speaking to the reality of certain foods that, that God had marked out to his people as clean and unclean. And appropriately observed in that way, but Jesus is signaling here that a change was coming, that with his coming, a change would happen. And in this same account in the Gospel of Mark, the the Gospel author Mark adds a sort of editorial comment that by this, Jesus was now saying that all foods are clean. So this change was coming with the Messiah's breaking in. But this then begs the question, if what comes from the outside doesn't make a person unclean, or if what comes from the outside doesn't defile a person, then what does Jesus answers the question clearly verse 18 look down at verse 18 what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person so what makes a person unclean what makes us defiled Jesus says is what comes out of the heart where do those Actions, these words come from from deep within the heart, the very core of who we are. And what are some of the things that come out of the heart? Jesus gives us a list in verse 19, not at all trying to be exhaustive, but here's some things that he says: evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And then Jesus brings it to conclusion in verse 20. These are what defile a person but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So the Pharisees started with this question about washing hands, and Jesus then broadens it out to address all these topics, but then at the end, he comes back to the washing of hands. He comes full circle. For instance, Jesus is teaching us that who we truly are is not who we act like we are. Who I truly am is not what I fake in certain environments. Now, who we truly are is who we are at our very core in our hearts. And from our hearts come these thoughts and words and actions. So we look at this list that Jesus gives, and if we're honest, if we're willing to look within our hearts, we see the source of these actions and others that spring from our own sinful, hearts. I wonder where you can find yourself on that list. Where this week have you slandered or had evil thoughts? Have you engaged in sexual immorality, in deed or in thought? Have you stolen, perhaps in a culturally acceptable way from your workplace that everyone does. So many others that we do. Friends, you see that our problem is not our unwashed hands. No, our problem is so much deeper than that. The problem is so much more pervasive and more powerful than that. Friends, what we have is a problem of the heart. And because the problem is of the heart, that's why these human rules are not sufficient. Human traditions and rules are not powerful enough to change my sinful heart. They're not powerful enough to change your sinful heart. They're inadequate. It is true that these rules can change some outward behaviors for a time. And that we can cover up some of our outward sins the, from our sin-ravished hearts, and we can fake a vitality of life and faith that's that's actually inaccurate. All of this in hypocrisy, but that doesn't change who we are at the core. So a great danger for all of us is that we can clean the outside, our behaviors, the things that others see, and appear to be godly. And in fact, that's not who we truly are. We, we fool ourselves, friends. We may try to fool others, but we cannot fool God. So, friend, do you see how big of a problem this really is? Friends, the Reality, though, is that though it's a deep, dark problem that every person faces, the solution is more beautiful and more potent than we would ever dream. The glorious good news, the solution for our sinful, darkened, hypocritical hearts is found in Jesus Christ. And in his death and in his resurrection where some of these self-righteous Pharisees in the days that would come would slander Jesus. From their own evil thoughts about him, they would bear false witness against him, and eventually those actions would lead to an unjust killing, would lead to his murder. Those actions arose from their darkened hearts. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, would go to the cross, but he goes willingly, intentionally. He who had never committed any of the sins on this list, nor any sins, his heart was perfect and pure. No one else had a heart like Jesus. But he went to the cross that through his death and resurrection, he would pay for any and all sins that you and I have committed if we would trust in him. For he bore the penalty, the punishment for those sins in his body on a tree. And he died and was raised on the third day, conquering Satan's sin and death. So that all who would look to him by faith might receive this free gift of salvation. And an aspect of that salvation is what we call new life, and with that new life comes a new heart. And friends, that's good news for those of us who know our darkened hearts, that Jesus gives a new heart. And now for the Christian who has a new heart from Christ and now is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, now from the heart can actually come good like the fruit of the Spirit. So from your heart, friend, if you're a Christian, can come the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That, friend, can come out of your heart. Now, instead of the sins on that list, it's possible that our hearts can produce the, the opposite instead of evil thoughts, godly thoughts, love and forgiveness instead of murder, faithfulness instead of adultery, sexual purity instead of sexual immorality, generosity instead of theft, honesty instead of bearing false witness, building up and encouraging others instead of slander. And if you're not a Christian, I wonder how you think about what I've said about the heart. You might use some different categories to think about the core of who you are. Do you ever find a darkness perhaps within? Have you at times created some rules for yourself or maybe adopted them from elsewhere, thinking that this will kind of reform yourself, improve yourself, make you a better person? And yet do you find that though you do keep them at times, so often you fail? And in the failing, you're even crushed under the weight of your own rules. Friend, you see that Jesus says about us is that we're actually worse than we would have ever dreamed. Thoroughly sinful at the core. But that Jesus' love is greater than we ever would imagine and has provided a way out of that for us. And so friend, if this is new to you, we'd love for you to explore who Jesus is. you came with a friend or a family member, if they're a Christian, they would love to tell you more if you'd like to know more today. I'll be at the door on your way out. I'd love to chat with you if you have questions this morning. Maybe you just want to continue attending with us and considering Jesus in that way, or, or the connection card that Mike mentioned. If you have questions, you can note that on the card as well. Drop it in the basket later on in the service. And friends, for those who are Christians, do you remember that you have a new heart from God? That the Spirit dwells in you. That we don't need these outside man-made rules to change us. But with a new heart, empowered by the Spirit, we can follow God's instructions for us. We can make progress in that. And we can worship not in vain, but authentically, from the heart. So we're now able to gather each week knowing that we are sinners, but sinners saved by grace. We have a new heart now that is true, but we still struggle in this life with sin. We understand we are all recovering hypocrites who sometimes are still thoroughly hypocritical, but by God's grace, progress is happening in this life. And so because of that, friends, we don't have to walk in here and fake it like we have it all together. Instead we acknowledge, we're aware that we're fellow strugglers. We've made progress, we're saved by grace, but we're still struggling, we're recovering in our hypocrisy day by day, and God is at work, changing us more and more. And so we freely worship as those who've received new hearts, clean hearts through the saving work of Christ. So we seek to flee from self-righteousness, but we seek to reject all those patterns that we've had previously. And we reject the path of the Pharisees who are always watching others. We say that that won't mark our lives as Christians. That won't mark us as a church. We we won't won't watch others looking to see if they're failing. But instead, we understand our own failures. We understand the, the boundless mercy and grace of God given to us. And so we say there is more room here always for those who are very far from God. There's more room here for any recovering hypocrites who want to come for that is what we are and by God's grace, we seek to grow from. So friends, let's pray that we would be that kind of a church marked by that sort of grace. And in a moment as we sing, let's sing as those with new hearts. And if you come today struggling with sin, we all do. You're not a hypocrite to sing this morning saying, yes, by God's grace, I, I know forgiveness. I want to fight sin. I, I want to make progress. So friends, sing with full voice as fellow strugglers, but strugglers in grace, empowered by the Spirit, living from these new hearts that Christ has provided.